The fuel from those going into a fast reactor, we have 390 years worth of energy just sitting here that the government wants to bury someplace. It's mind boggling. It's going to cost $400 billion to bury this stuff where it'll be a lot less to recycle it. Let's get a, uh, a governor that says, hey, I want to take and consent to accept it, but not to store it. Consent to accept it to recycle. Once you go there, it opens up all the doors. episode of Young Professionals and Energy Podcast. I'm Mark Heinemann. I'm joined today by two guests, actually, uh, Stephen Curtis and Tom Dolan, uh, with a grassroots effort, Waste to Nuclear. Um, I warned these guys ahead of time they're, they're going to give a 60-second pitch for who they are, and then we can kind of dive into, into their efforts. So, Steve, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Thanks a lot, Mark. My name is Steve Curtis, and my background is I'm a health physicist, which means I'm a radiation scientist. Spent a lot of time in Nevada working on the uh, spent nuclear fuel issue uh, Nevada has successfully fought for 40 years, and that sort of upsets me, basically. I have been a, a, a technical team leader for nuclear emergency search teams and consequence management teams with the DOE for about 15 years, spent some time in the military, have uh, uh, like my master's degree in, in health physics. I was the president of both the uh, Nevada section's of the Health Physics Society and the American Nuclear Society. And I'm a member, of course, of the National American Nuclear Society. I spent, like I said, most of my time in Nevada. And what is really bothering me the most is that the easiest part of the nuclear fuel cycle is what we call the back end. And that's the part that most people call nuclear waste. We call it um, uh, slightly used nuclear fuel because about uh, 95% of the energy is still in the nuclear fuel after it comes out of the reactor. Our proposal is to use that in a technology called a fast reactor. So we can, uh, there are actually private firms out there now that can, can put that to work. So my focus right now is to try to bring this to the uh, community, try to bring this to the people, try to have people understand it with the hope that understanding this will have them be more open to other nuclear power that's coming in the future, which I firmly believe is the future of energy, and I think uh, the sooner it comes, the better. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Excellent introduction. Tom, how about you? All right. Uh, my name's Tom Dolan. Uh, I really have a background in aviation and law enforcement. I was uh, 26 years uh, up in New York area, Long Island, uh, uh, as a police officer, and before that I was flying some helicopters around Manhattan. I also worked uh, flying the police helicopters and police boats, and uh, uh, was at 9-11, uh, World Trade Center, about two hours after the first plane hit. And a couple of months later is uh, how I got involved with uh, nuclear energy. We were trying to, uh, uh, a large vessel was going in towards Manhattan that uh, was not scanned or known and uh, uh, we put a team together to uh, uh, find the radiation signatures, and uh, Steve was part of that team with uh, a couple other uh, nuclear uh, folks, and it uh, kind of went uh, 
went uh, with the wind when uh, the Obama's uh, uh, administration uh, took over. But uh, uh, Steve's doing this uh, recycling thing. I'm basically uh, the marketing or uh, uh, website type guy and you know, kind of pushing and throwing the letters out there trying to get the contacts. Uh, we've met with several people here in Virginia. Uh, they're uh, looking to do a big change now and start using nuclear energy and supposedly recycle, but uh, that's yet to be seen. We're still trying to talk a little further with them to uh, show uh, show them our plan. That's about it for me. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Well, I, I think we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about, So, and I really want to touch on uh, kind of your guys' grassroots effort, but I'd like to hear just a little bit more about your background, maybe some um, general stuff. First off, uh, Tom, thanks for your service in, in the police force and uh, the military. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. So, um, Steve, I'd like to start with you. Health physics. Walk us through health physics and radiation. And, you know, there's a lot of talk in the industry kind of about Alara and how that's impacted regulations. Um, what, if, if you could kind of give us a high level view um, of radiation and, and if you think it's as dangerous or as uh, scary as a lot of people think it is. Okay, well, certainly uh, a need to be aware of, of radiation because uh, radiation can hurt you. But the issue with radiation is it takes a, quite a little bit of radiation to hurt you. You walk around in a sea of radiation every day, and that actually our bodies are acclimated to it. In fact, our bodies have, every cell has a repair mechanism for the DNA. So no matter what impo imposes uh, a change in the DNA, that gets repaired, but it's not perfect. And so there are there are mutations. Whether those mutations affect us or not is the is the source of the uncertainty in in, in this whole chemistry step we call our body. So it's important for people to know that natural respiration of oxygen creates a lot of mutations within the DNA code. Uh, a lot of it is mitigated by our natural body processes, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, the design of the DNA is that it doesn't, it doesn't mitigate at all. So part of the aging process has to do with mutating cells as we just breathe oxygen naturally and grow older. So, um, if you're going to worry about something, there's, there's certainly things to worry about in toxins and other carcinogens, but, um, the, the whole process of Cancer causing is, is, is very well misunderstood, or let me put it this way, it's not well understood at all. I mean, if we understood the process, we could find a way to stop it, but we haven't been able to. So the, the truth is, if you live to be about 100 years old, you'll almost, over 99.9% .9 of us will get some sort of cancer. It's just a natural part of life, unfortunately. So it's an important thing to work on. But I think what happens is people tend to put too much of an importance on trying to stay away from getting cancer. It's a natural part of life, like I said, unfortunately, but we need to have an imposed quality of life. So what happens is if there's way too many regulations imposing on it and we protect us for ourselves from radiation at way too low a level, then we pay a lot of money. And if we pay a lot of money, that means other parts of our life can't be satisfied. So we have to make those decisions as a society. How much do we really want to pay for that? And it impinges itself in nuclear energy because a big fear of nuclear energy is the radiation part of it. So it turns out that the, the protections we've had all these years have been 
protected to a, a, a really, really low standard. Um, if you if you drive your car and you want to prevent all deaths from driving a car, you can make them weigh about 15,000 pounds, <clears throat> go no faster than 10 miles an hour, and you'll probably reduce a whole lot of deaths on the road. But that's not what people want. People want to be able to use their cars. They want to be able to afford their cars. They want to be able to drive their cars, and so they'll take their chances on the road. And there is a lot of safety built into cars, but it's sort of a graded approach. It's not made so safe that nobody dies, but it's made safe enough that people can use it as a tool, and if they're careful, they don't die. And that's the same way with radiation. And if we protect it to too low a level, we're going to really have no return benefit for it, but we're spending a whole lot of money. So part of it is to figure out how to regulate that to a point where people are comfortable with it at a level that's affordable. And we're working on that now. And and, and it's a lot of discoveries are coming in now that the, the, the real fear of cancer is not really from radiation. There's not a radiation imposition on that. It could, they'll tell you, is it possible? Well, of course, everything's possible, but but if you want to really balance everything out, you need to really level it out. So it's important for people to know, number one, that there's a repair mechanism in your body that repairs DNA. So whatever that process is that causes cancer, you have a good chance of getting it repaired, but it's not perfect. And when cells divide, they don't divide perfectly. And so there's mutations in cells that just happen naturally. But overall, it works pretty good because here we are talking to each other and breathing and the body works. So the question is, how much of your life do you want to give up to have safety? And we all got to argue that every day with everything we do. But unfortunately, with nuclear power and, and, and radiation, people are, have been way oversensitized to what the problem is. So part of it is working towards that middle of the ground thing and getting people more comfortable with nuclear power because truthfully, nuclear power over six decades throughout the world has not had a single death or injury from the normal operations of commercial power reactors. Now they can all go off to the tangent of Chernobyl and Fukushima and Three Mile Island and I'd be glad to talk that if anybody wants to, but the truth is those were not normal operations of reactors. TMI was, Fukushima wasn't, neither was Chernobyl. Uh, but TMI had a meltdown but didn't hurt anybody. And indeed, that's the definition of what safety is about. Safety is not it's trying to minimize the amount of accidents we have, but when they happen, to minimize the effect on people. And it, the nuclear power community has been very, very good at that over the years. So compare that with some of the other stuff we do and all the risks we take and and we're way overprotected when we try to deal with radiation and, and, and radiation damage. Yeah. I like the word that you used, uh, toxin. You know, and when I think about normal operations of power plants and nuclear power plants, it's difficult to conceive how some of these toxins would actually get into the environment. You know, and, and the level of protection that exists to keep these toxins from getting into the environment versus any other form of energy generation, including solar and wind. Uh, when you dispose of the panels and they get landfilled and then they can break apart and the heavy metals can get into the water source, right? Like these are toxins that never go away, never decay, and they are in the water source for forever. And there will be a lot more mass versus, yeah, with waste. 
And I mean, you're we'll dive into waste too, but uh, you guys could have an opportunity to even just get rid of it, or you're advocating to um, reuse it as fuel. So, Tom, I want to dig in on your guys's efforts to uh, identify radiation when you you had a boat coming into New York. That was that was interesting. Talk to us a little bit about kind of your efforts and and how you uh, how you guys thought about that. It was uh, pretty much like uh, New York City had a helicopter pretty close to what uh, the remote sensing lab had out there in Nevada and also, I believe, in D.C., uh, where they were able to go and scan an area and be able to tell people to sequester in place or get people out of the way in case something did happen in Manhattan. So, you know, we were trying to say, Right now, when something big happens in Manhattan or any other city uh, for that uh, point, the problem there is the federal government is out to fry bigger fish than the locals. So we were trying to be able to go and show local first responders where, how, and when can we move people, not relying on Steve was part of the NEST team, Nuclear Emergency Search Team. By the time they respond and got on scene, that's 72 hours. That's a long time when you have uh, radiation uh, out there in the atmosphere. So at this point, we were going to try and do it locally and be able to telemeter stuff to them, let them stay in their offices and tell us what to do, but give them the results. So that's what we were trying to do uh, uh, quite some time ago. So uh, because... Back then, around 9-11, oh, everything's scanned. Well, no. Most of the major ports are scanned. You get a small ship coming out of Africa, Ireland, wherever, Nova Scotia, they're not scanned. You don't know what's on there. So, you know, and, and what's the best way to uh, hide, uh, you know, radi uh, radiation? Put it in an oil tanker. You'll never be able to see it there. That ever did blow up, that would be, uh, you know, 35 miles of uh, ring of fire. But, you know, that's, that's how we got started, and this is how we met. We had uh, other good people on the team with us, and we were doing pretty decent. And Interesting. I think, it, we could have a, I think we have all another podcast on that topic. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we probably <laughs> – well, well, we'll sidebar that for now. So, um, Steve, why don't you talk to us? You, you mentioned uh, Nevada and them pushing successfully against storing uh, any spent nuclear fuel for 40 years. Um, why was that successful for them, and why why did they why they do that? It, it seems it's always puzzled me. You know, we've got an economic opportunity for a well-designed engineering system that the federal government put a lot of money into. Seems like a great source of revenue. <laughs> well, I went to my first. Uh called Yucca Mountain. Yucca Mountain was the name of the project yep. out there that was supposed to bury the spent nuclear fuel. I went to my first meeting in 1981. By then, I was not even associated with uh, nuclear science or anything. I was just a citizen looking into what was going on. I just started college out there, and I was, was interested in it. And when I, when I was at that meeting, I said, they'll never turn this down. This is just too good to be true. I mean, uh, why, would, why would they want to? And in fact, until 1979, all the entities in Nevada, political, all levels, were in favor of it. They were writing praises to it. They were saying, go uh, fall on your sword and get this project out here. And somewhere between 79 and 81, something happened to, to derail that. 
And Nevada is pretty much a one-trick pony when it comes to business. So if, if the entertainment community feels that that's any of kind of an imposition, every one of the politicians jump on board and start fighting it. So, in fact, they did that, and they mostly fought through a delaying process, which had not much to do with technical um, accuracy. It had a lot to do with waving their hands in the air, traveling all over the United States and scaring people, and, and pretty much bringing up the specter of nuclear power, which I didn't understand if they didn't want the spent fuel in Nevada, why would they scare everybody else about it? And, I, and I've had these conversations with them over the years, but we were very much the, you know, secondary stepchild that was supposed to just shut up and not say anything. And there were many people in Nevada that pushed to try to get this done. Even some of the, uh, there was a county uh, just north of Nevada called Nye County that really wanted it located. It was in Nye County and they wanted it. But the governor would always veto that. And nobody could ever get them to have a cogent conversation about it. And I knew when it ever came out here that it would uh, it would be reprocessed in some form, we hope recycled, but it would be reused in some form. <clears throat> There's just too much of an energy signature that that, that to, to ignore, and it's all clean energy. So I, as, over the years, they they fought. I never did this ever as an employee of anybody. I was always a, a guy in the community, part of the the, the 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 mix of people that understood nuclear uh, systems. But they actually managed to uh, put some money together. They appropriated about five million bucks a year and hired a bunch of lawyers that went to work delaying, delaying, delaying all this stuff. And finally, they did it long enough until Harry Reid became the majority leader and Obama came into Congress and they made some sort of deal to say, we're not going to fund it. It's still the law. 1987, the law said it's all coming there. 2000. Uh, 10, Obama said, nope, we're not funding this. I made this deal with Harry. 2012, they had something called the Blue Ribbon Commission to figure out what we're going to do. It's 2012 now, 10 years ago. So they decided they would want to get a consent from a state to do it. Now that, to me, means you got to get the governor because they tried a lot of consents with Indian tribes and other entities within the state that wouldn't do it. But not a single state in the union will allow it. In fact, Idaho, where they're the center of nuclear discovery, nuclear engineering discovery on the Idaho National Laboratory in Idaho Falls, their governor has said by 2035, we want this crap the heck out of here. And so there, this is an ongoing system, right? So my contention is that the first state that raises their hand and said, we'll accept use nuclear fuel for recycling fast reactors, if you will, and we got a whole list of things that they should ask for, including a national laboratory and industrial park and start the manufacturing process for next generation reactors in that state. It's a very attractive package. We just got to talk to the governor. But Nevada, to this day, it still opposes it. Their politicians are in lockstep with the powers in Nevada that control the political system and they won't listen to reason. They still, to this day, won't listen to reason, won't, won't relent. Although I'm out there speaking all the time, and almost everybody you talk to thinks it's a great idea. I'll, I'll try and provide some background to our listeners because I'm, I don't think all of our listeners might be as familiar with this as, as we are. Um, but and I'll I'll characterize it as as I know it, and you guys can correct me. So, 
uh, spent nuclear fuel, right? The fuel in reactors, in modern power reactors, is just uh, metallic rods that are, uh, they look like rectangles or squares and they're 16 feet long or some length, right? That we take out of pools, we let them cool in pools for three years and then we bundle them into cylinders uh, and then put cement around them and we call these casks, right? Or spent nuclear fuel casks. And Yucca Mountain was designed and designated as the disposal site by the federal government. Uh, that, yeah, as you said, this is the law because the federal government was responsible or took responsibility of disposing of spent nuclear fuel. And they said, well, we'll take care of this as the Department of Energy. Um, and then they built it. Uh, so they've got this underground mine that's huge and can, you know, you can drive these casks underground um, into this mine and, and just leave them there, right? And let them decay over time. Um, and realistically, you know, people say a million years, but when you look at the actual decay length of spent nuclear fuel, uh, in my opinion, you don't need a million years. You need 500 years to 10,000 years max. Um, and we can dive into that probably separately, but, um, I would also say that the Yucca Mountain was overkill and, you know, I've got different opinions that, you know, we could dispose of these rods in different ways, um, similar to kind of what deep isolation is doing. Um, but there's also just not that much nuclear waste in the country, meaning, uh, or nuclear fuel characterizes as that. Um, meaning when you look at the actual mass of how much there is, it's equivalent to about 25 windmills, commercial megawatt size windmills which is de minimis relative to how many windmill waste we're going to have, right? And how much solar power waste we're going to have for an equivalent amount of energy. I mean, it's just baffling. So, but you guys are advocating that this isn't waste at all and we shouldn't bury it at all. So let's, uh, let's, let's dive into that. Let me give you one little thing. First of all, the repository is not built. They only studied the rock. They did build about a, almost a two mile hole in the mountain to dig the rock out and study it, but it never progressed to the point where they ever went underground and, and well, underground into the mountain, but not 900 feet down and built anything. That, that never happened. So it's not a repository that's anywhere near being able to accept these nuclear fuel. And I want to let people know that when they go into the dry casks, the reason they can go into the dry casks after three to five years in the water is that they have cooled down so much radiologically and heat-wise that they now can be convectively cooled. They don't need water anymore. So the point to remember is that it's an exponential, I mean, a very, very quickly decreasing scale that these um, decays happen. But it's important to know that they're still dangerously radioactive for up to 10,000 years. Now, the million years came from a court case that was won by Nevada. So now, instead of 10,000 years, now they're supposed to protect to a million years, but my contention is that a million years and 10,000 years to people is the same. I mean, even 100 years is hard to imagine for people. So when we're talking about things that happen 10,000 years and a million years, we're really being a little bit hypocritical because what else do we worry about? I mean, people a million years ago didn't worry about us dealing with fire when they discovered it, sort of thing. So, so yeah. future generations will be a lot smarter and know, understand a lot more about science than we do. And it, it really now is not an issue. Certainly, will not be an issue as as they progress more in science and, and engineering. So, people forget that, or at least they're not told. That. But that, but that there is no repository right now that we can open up and 
news. It's just a hole in the ground that they study. Right. So the the federal government vetoed the Yucca Mountain project or said, we're going to stop spending money on this, but they're still responsible for finding a disposal process. So the yes. current situation yes. is the Department of Energy is pursuing a consent-based siting program, which I've looked into this extensively. And if they came out, I think it was 2016, with a report and a plan to progress this or to follow this path of, okay, well, let's go and find a community um, that will willingly accept uh, this spent nuclear fuel. And right now, the DOE is actually actively doing this. They're, they've got, I don't know, $20 million. They're divvying it up between certain sites to find out what communities want, what they may want. And we're, we're actually going from the other standpoint. If uh, – uh, let me give you a couple of examples about the used nuclear fuel to begin with. There's 97 percent, 96, 97 percent usable uranium in the fuel coming out of light water reactors. OK, there's several processes of, you know, recycling it. I'm going to say recycle because reprocessing that has to do with weapons grade stuff and you name it. But there's over in France, they use an aqueous La Hague, France. It is a huge complex. However, here in the United States, at Argonne National Laboratory, they have a pyroprocessing process. They also, uh, the original way that nuclear energy was going to be made was, was going to be with a fast reactor. They have experimental breeder reactor one and two. Uh, they showed that it could be done. It comes out one end, comes right back in as fuel because it's breeding fuel. So with a fast reactor now, there's a few companies out there. Uh, they can actually take the used fuel, get a little plutonium to jump start it, but it's going to run for 60 years. To give you an example, here in Virginia, we have two power plants, uh, North Anna and Surrey. The fuel from those going into a fast reactor we have 390 years worth of energy just sitting here that the government wants to bury someplace. Uh, you know, that's the type of stuff that's, you know, it's mind boggling. It's going to cost $400 billion to bury this stuff where it'll be a lot less to recycle it. And at the same time, any state that had electricity produced by uh, uh, nuclear energy Congress had started a Congressional Nuclear Waste Fund, and they took money out of everyone's pocket, a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's over $45 billion at this point. So we're looking to say, hey, instead of going through the DOE's consent process, blah, 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 let's get a, a governor that says, hey, I want to take and consent to accept it, but not to store it, consent to accept it to recycle once you go there, that opens up all the doors because all of a sudden you're going to see Sierra Club. Well, what do you mean recycle? Oh, you just took the wind out of the air sale. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah there's, there's so many positive things here. Okay, we, we, you, you can start bringing in small reactor companies. You can do a research park. You can, you know, it's amazing the stuff that you can do with this. That's, you know, why bury, why store? Let's go right up front and say, here it is. And at that point, if they say, I'm going to consent to it, well, part of it is you're going to open up that nuclear uh, uh, waste fund. We're going to get some, you know, a couple of reactors in there, a research park, 
you can jumpstart the economy in any state, and that state's going to be the leader regardless. I mean, they're doing good stuff here, good strides in Virginia, but they're not going about it properly. I think if the governor went right in there and said, hey, we want to take this and recycle it, but, and we will consent to it, it's going to be a lot better than going to these communities. Oh, well, we want to cite it here. We want to, you know, people don't want waste. If you lead with the positives, you'll do so much better. People want economic prosperity. Exactly. And, Not and just taking, taking in something that, yeah, yeah, you can lower electricity prices and turn turn trash to, to power. When I when I look at the consent-based process that the DOE is doing now, I mean, they've outlined their timeline, and it's 25 to 37 years to get this process done. Picking Which the to me, down the road. Yeah, to me, that doesn't say that that's a project that's actually, you know, trying to accomplish something. That's a government program that is providing jobs for people that are doing it. So there's a lot of smart people in the program and they're trying to do the right thing. But from, from an economic perspective or, or a business professional, I mean, I, I would never be able to get that approved by a financier. That'd be crazy. So I, I totally support you guys' um, perspective. So why, why, why don't we do this now? And um, let's, let's touch on a little bit about, I, I think it was Reagan, uh, that kind of, uh, foo-fooed the process of reprocessing or recycling. But I mean, we know it's possible. Why don't we do it now? Actually, it was, uh, uh, Gerald Ford started it and Jimmy Carter reiterated it. Reagan actually, uh, reinstated the possibility that we can do it. And, and currently right now, you could do it. It's not prohibited. Um, but by the time Reagan did that, they had decided to go mine uranium. It seemed to be cheaper to them. And they already had the process in place to mine uranium, and they found a lot more uranium. Unfortunately, only about 5% of the uranium today comes from the United States. A lot of it comes from Kazakhstan. I guess, fortunately, a bunch of it comes from Canada. But there's not a crisis with that. But it's not a, a, a domestically produced uh, energy source. Yeah. Um, so the, the 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 whole process at that time was by the time they approved it to happen, um, they had already moved on to the next business case, moved down the road with light water reactors, and sort of ignored the whole issue. And so the stuff stacked up. But like you said, it's very safe. It's not imposing. There's not a large volume of it. It's not dangerous to people. There's never been an accident. And if we bring in the nuclear Navy, which has more reactors floating around the oceans all over the world than are in the United States, they constantly, those reactors last for 30 years without having to be refueled. Well, that's a huge technical, uh, uh, tactical advantage for the military. And so that's why they were so interested. And that's why it really worked to perfection. And it was us and Russia for many, many years, uh, the only ones that had nuclear-powered ships, but now China is, is surpassing us all in that. So it's a great idea, but they do that with what they call highly enriched uranium. Uranium that goes into a reactor is about 3 to 4% enriched in what we call the fissile uranium, which is the isotope that instantly fissions and produces energy. Right. That five, right? bombs and the nuclear reactors in the Navy are highly enriched. So now you just have to run this reactor consistently. They can run it for 30 years because there's so much of that fissile material and the, the, the fission products that um, get in the way of that and are so radioactive are easy enough to protect and overcome that. So they, they, they use it the, 
submarine last 30 years and the fuel source last 30 years. It's really a great problem. Then they cut it out, ship it across the roads when it's done, and it's sitting in Idaho Falls in, in, in Idaho National Laboratory in, in a pit, and they really want to recycle that because that stuff has still a lot of highly enriched uranium. In fact, a lot of the next generation reactors that they're talking about want to use the, a higher enrichment of uranium, maybe close to 20%. And so a good way to get that is to downblend the stuff that's still enriched. That's one of the ways they're going to use to do that. But the problem with that is if you use fission and uranium, you're still producing spent fuel. And the reason that that's a problem is that people are worried about it. It's not a problem physically. It's that people have been hyped and worried about it, so now they can use that as an excuse to get in the way of doing more uh, reactors. And the real source of it is not so much funding or subsidies or research. It's at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. It's like radiation. They have such a strict standard on, on licensing reactors. You just can't get it done. A new scale got theirs done, and they spent a half a billion dollars in seven years doing it. Not every company sees that as a, you know, a, a magic path to glory. But until we convince the NRC that this is a 60-year uh, history of safety, you don't have to imagine it. We've watched it for 60 years. We know how to do it. Why are you so restrictive in what you're trying to license these reactors? Let's go send a car out on the road, you know, with, with no second thought about it at all. Let the, let the car manufacturers get whatever design they want to. Those kill 40,000 people a year. Reactors kill nobody. And yet we're still sitting in this this uh, dark ages of, of reactor design. So as we move down this road and try to understand it more, I think it's almost inevitable that people will see nuclear power as a way to go. Because wind and solar is, is really onerous and expensive, and they haven't sorted out all the details of it. And it hasn't really, the price of doing that hasn't really hit the people yet because they've deficit spent a whole bunch of money to get that going. With and so economically, it never would be viable. And Warren Buffett would tell you, I'd never get into wind unless they would pay me a lot of money to do it. He's said that to everybody. So, so as an economy, as an issue, and as abundant energy, where do you want to be? Do you want to be paying 51 cents a megawatt hour? Do you want it so cheap that you can have a deal where all you can use for 50 bucks a month, okay? People just have to try to understand, figure out what they want, and with competition, you could have that. But with a restrictive, if you're letting wind and solar go out there without any even environmental impact statements being done, and yet you're sequestering nuclear under this really onerous licensure process, do you really have a free market? So that's the that's the aspect that people have to think about and the message we're trying to convey. But yeah. but nuclear fuel is is not an issue at all, and we could recycle it legally anytime we wanted to. Yeah, I'd like to add a couple of things in there, too. Uh, once the fuel is recycled in a fast reactor, when you take it out, there is still waste, greatly reduced per person, but it may be hot still 200, 250 years, and it's got rare earth metals in there, palladium, some other things that you could use, uh, process heat in there. And at the same time, you, you you're looking at certain things like, a person's lifetime uh, of energy's waste can fit into a soda can, okay? But that's from the light water reactors. Now, if you recycle that, that's going to provide 30 more people a lifetime of energy. 
And you may have maybe five or six M&Ms being your waste for your lifetime. That's a huge amount for a lifetime of energy compared to coal or anything else. So it's it, it's remarkable that people aren't jumping on this. This is something else. It's the way to go. Now, let's let's clarify something, because I, I may not be crystal clear on this, but the reactors that we have in operation in the U.S., and we have more reactors than any other country in the world, are light water reactors that uh, the, when the fuel is spent or we've burned as much of it as we can in those reactors, then uh, it comes out, and it's what we now know is spent nuclear fuel or what we call nuclear waste, right? But you guys are advocating that we build new types of reactors that aren't really new. They Argonne invented them in the 60s, and INL studied them extensively, and we know exactly how they work, and we've built functioning models and prototypes and run them for years. So if we built more of those, uh, then we could take literally the waste, the spent nuclear fuel from the light water reactors and put them into what you guys call the EBRs or experimental breeder reactors, which is just a different way of producing fission. Um, and, and people can go and read about it. We encourage them to. But, yeah, it would be just a different type of reactor. Am I thinking about that correctly? Yes, that's it. So is, is there anyone building these or ex- exploring well, the possibility? Of- that are designing them but have not yeah. gotten licenses for yet because it's so onerously expensive. So we feel if a governor would say we'll accept these nuclear fuel, that would open up the floodgates of for everybody else to say, well, this must be okay. If this governor is willing to do it, what are we missing? Would It would cause a public reaction to that that said maybe we better start doing this, which would drive the political hesitance to go down. And maybe they could influence the NRC because the, the NRC is influenced completely by congressional funding. And so whatever Congress tells them to do, that's what they'll do right now. They're telling them to slow roll it and and, and, and make an onerous process for, for licensure. Now, they're safe, and the guys are working and doing what they're told to, so I can't really fault the NRC, but they're doing what they're told to by their boss. So we're thinking this chain reaction could help alleviate a lot of the roadblocks that are in place right now, and people could start really embracing nuclear power, which I think they would. I think they would do that almost immediately, but the process you described where they're talking about Consent. Talk, 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 talk for all these years and now another four decades of talking about it. That's what the government's good at. So we think if we could influence a state government, because states still have rights and under the Constitution and could make a, a case for it, then that would maybe open up the logjam a little bit and move it along. But we haven't had an audience with a state governor, so if the state governor's out there, We'll talk to you anytime, any place. Well, I let's 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 do it in Colorado. You know, I mean, I I live a ten minute walk from the state capital, Colorado. I'll go talk to Polis. My girlfriend's mom is the president of Hukari Ascendant. She's a nuclear engineer. Excel we'll needs to out. be eighty percent twenty or eighty percent clean and carbon free by twenty thirty and one hundred percent by twenty fifty. We're retiring yes, old plants in western Colorado where I grew up. I mean, it's a perfect recipe. I know some people over at Oakville that are doing this. Let's let's do it in Colorado. I'll be out there as soon as I can. If you get me an appointment, I'm there. <laughs> and Tom is there, yeah. too. <laughs> you know, just uh, earlier, Steve said there was never an accident with uh, used nuclear fuel. Well, that's kind of like pretty pretty correct, but they had a transportation on the back of a truck one time. The truck swerved, and the cast, the dry cast fell off. It put a little hole in the, in the ground, but uh, – 
they just have to wait, I think, about six hours to get a crane out there and put it back on and shift it on its way. This stuff is so safe to begin with, and everyone thinks it's a boogeyman. So yeah. it's it's remarkable. Since there's no, been no injuries or deaths. <laughs> yeah. So which which organizations are exploring the opportunity to uh, uh, do this fast reactor type? Are you, are you guys familiar with some of them? Well, that's uh, Elysium Industries. Formerly, they just switched over to Exodus uh, Energy, and uh, that person there. Uh, he he was building stuff for uh, the Navy, uh, designing things. He has actually one of uh, his uh, uh, reactors is on Mars, I believe. Uh, so, you know, at the same time, we have a working relationship with uh, Argonne National Laboratory, a Roger Bloomquist there. And if you ever need a group to be educated on uh, energy of uh, nuclear we can set it up to either do a Zoom or in-person meeting out there. Uh, but it's it, that was a great tour. We were there two days before they closed the, the, the lab uh, entirely because of COVID, but amazing stuff. Yeah. There's another okay. company called Multex that's working on this. You talked about Oklo. There's another one called Cheerio. Yeah, so those are, sorry, just, those are separate companies, right? Multex. And they're individual privately yeah. capitalized companies that actually have impressed investors enough to invest their money in this business, even though it's so onerous to get a license and even though it's no reactors being built today. So there's no income coming in yet. But these guys know how to do it. And our idea is let them compete. Let them get us the best deal. Whatever deal's the best one, we know the ones we like, but we're not in the business of making these reactors. So uh, once we compete for your energy dollar, your energy prices will go way down. And there is uh, enough fuel sitting in the United States today to power the United States for 250 years with just fast reactor recycling. At least. That's not going to happen, but can you imagine a world where we want to burn it up as fast as we can? Because really in 100 years you might have space-based power and fusion will probably be, you know, pretty mature by then. So you might not need it for 250 years, but... Wouldn't it be nice for everybody to be encouraged to burn up as much, uh, use as much electricity as they can? You know, buy those new things. We could inductively power cars from the road if we wanted electric cars. It's very inefficient, but hey, if we want to burn more, more electricity yeah. and get rid of spent fuel, why not? And of course, as that becomes more. It could be just like your cell phone. To do it. One price as much as you want. They, they yeah. were laughed at this way back when it happened. Looking yeah. way back when, it was only 15 years ago. Uh, look back when to my kids, okay? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So that's the idea, so, uh, Mark, is to, is to get people thinking of this objectively and commercially, the commercial free enterprise aspect of it. Yeah. If you monopolize energy, you're gonna, people are not going to be able to resist that. And you, you don't want monopolies in any industry, but specifically not energy, because then they can charge you all they want to and make all the rules they want to, and you'll do it because you want to have electricity. That's that's not the American way, and that's not the enterprise. So talk to me a little bit about waste to nuclear. I mean, you guys reached out. I wrote an op-ed for uh, a newsletter for one of the energy and nuclear advocates, and you guys reached out after you read that. Grid yeah. Brief, yeah, Emmett Penny's Grid Brief, which is a phenomenal news article I've advocated for it several times. Um, but, yeah. Uh, talk, talk to me about waste and nuclear. I mean, you guys are grassroots effort. Um, you've, you've described a lot of kind of the benefits and, 
and what you're doing so far, but tell me more. Well, we got we got two websites. Uh, I started with Virginia because uh, when Steve told me what he was doing, I'm like, well, let's do it in Virginia. He's like, why? I'm like, well, we got the nuclear navy. We have two power plants here. We got BWXT, all sorts of great stuff. We got the shipbuilders out there making nuclear, uh, you know, aircraft carriers. So we set up Virginia Recycles uh, SNF. Uh, spentnuclearfuel.com. So there's I hyphens in, in between each one of those things. Really, first page describes it a little bit and go on and go for, forth from there. We have nuclear aid, all educational stuff. If uh, interesting facts, we have all sorts of stuff on it. Then we started up uh, when we were working with uh, the Climate Coalition. They were Protect Nuclear Now, so we started up at the same time, uh, wastetoenergynow.org. And on that site there, we uh, I listed each one of the, the states that have power plants and how much fuel is sitting there to, to use nuclear fuel and the equivalent of how many years if fast reactors were used to actually burn it. And it's like astounding, yeah, astounding. I mean, California, I think, is like 490 years or maybe that might New York, but it's like. Oh my God, if we could just keep on doing this with the used nuclear fuel, what a difference. So we've got the websites where we've talked in several different states, one way or another to get this further. Uh, we were up in New Hampshire and they actually have put together a law saying we want to study this further, uh, to keep Seabrook open and, and see about waste uh, to energy. So it's like, it makes sense. You talk to anybody, and they they can't really poke any holes in it. Well, how about okay? Just keep it going. If you ever have uh, somebody at the Sierra Club who wants to debate, Steve is your man. Okay. He he can it's politely put them they, in their place. They don't talk to anyone. Yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, this afternoon. I've got another a, a group I work with that's worried about the grid, the electric grid, that likes this idea. They're going to give me two. This Friday and next Friday to talk to their members in some detail and answer questions. So I'm going to, I've got two briefings put together to talk to them. I'm going to present a paper at the American Nuclear Society next week in Phoenix uh, to the whole group. Many of them will show up at the, the session. But the idea is that they accepted the paper finally. In prior years, they wouldn't accept that paper because they claim that they want to bury it and they don't want to listen to any of the other ideas but this year they accepted it so there's there's a value to grassroots it doesn't happen fast but it but it does start pushing people to think about it and to start morphing around and now i'm getting a lot of response because people are worried about brownouts now they're worried about wind and solar not working they can't get components they can't um, turns out the sun doesn't shine at night yeah subsidies end and then there's no there's, there's no more. Now they're worried about offshore now because the interest rates have gone up and now they can't afford it. And the utilities don't want to take any risk. They want to load all the risk on, on rate payers. And so far, the government said, okay, sure, we'll load it all on the rate payers. Why not? Wow. And so now they're, they're, they're fighting back a little bit because now the, the load on the rate payers is going up. And at least Glenn Youngkin in, in Virginia is, is starting to push back on that a little bit. But the, the politics is overwhelming. I mean, you have people with tons and tons of money that are poured into this. It's hard for some of these politicians to say no. So the logic has to start bringing back into it. And everybody knows that 
if the government spends, every time they spend a trillion dollars, that's $3,000 per person in the United States. People don't think about that. And they think that if the government spends it, well, then I don't have to spend it. It's not coming out of my pocket. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it well, is. Subsidies and everything else. else. And so, yep. so I'm worried about our kids and grandkids having to take this debt yoke. They've loaded all this student loan debt yoke on all these people. Now they're loading this federal government yoke on it. And if they forgive student loans, they're just taking the student loan yoke and loading it onto another side of their future and pushing this off down the road. So that that's that's a huge motivation for me to why can't we just let the business compete and pay its own way? Why do we have to have all this onerous government intervention in it, which I worked for the government for a good long time, and I know that they're not the most efficient. In fact, they're probably the least efficient way to implement any kind of effort that commercializes things. They're great at basic research. Yeah. But getting basic research out into useful job, they, they're not very good at that. Companies are really good at that. So if you can get that machine starting to work the way it's supposed to, and then have this level playing field for free enterprise, I think people will be well served in the future. And they uh, use safety as a as a as a as a hammer. And, and, and safety is good. We all have to be safe. But I think commercial enterprises are much more practical about that because guess what? They have to make a profit. You can't just load so much safety yeah. that the company collapses. And uh, you got, seems to be able to do that. So you got the airlines really with the sort FAA. Of interested in making life better for people and improving quality of life, not just here but around the world. If you go to Africa and give them nuclear power, their quality of life instantly raises. They can actually have water. They can actually have electricity. And, and there's places in the world where that's not possible every day. Many, many places. So anyway, that's kind of the, the basics of, of what the grassroots effort is trying to produce. But the bottom line is if we talk, we think if we talk to one governor, if we get an audience with one governor, that they'll say yes, because everybody else is liking the idea of recycling spent nuclear fuel. Everybody loves that idea, except those with a vested interest in doing something else. So a governor, we can show him a path to maybe a $10 billion a year economy within five years. And if it's energy, the sky's the limit because we pay $400 billion a year in this country for electricity. We pay another about $600 billion in, in, in gasoline and, and, and heating oil and things like that. But just for electricity, it's $400 billion. And I don't know, a country boy like me, that's a chunk of change. So, Mark, it's going to be up to you to uh, get us in with your governor. You know, we'll out there. Yeah, the grassroots effort is really good because a lot of people like, well, who's funding you? Uh, my retirement is funding me, so I can say anything I want, and I'm not that there. Was, that was waste. a question of mine. Was yeah, are, are you guys uh, compensated for this, or it's uh, not yeah, profit and total volunteer effort? This, this is yeah. all out of our own pockets. So, so that was, that was another question. If somebody was, will uh, want to start doing that someday. I don't want to get you wrong, but right now we we're not using that as an excuse. We're right. and like Tom says, we can we can speak our mind freely. That, that's awesome, guys. I, I really love this discussion. I think it's been, been excellent. Um, we're coming up on our time. Okay. So I, and I, I feel like we've, you've outlined a, a great picture and a path forward. Um, but let's, let's just try and summarize it for the audience, you know, to paint us a picture of, you know, and it sounds like as little as five years. If somebody really got after this and we convinced the governor that, Hey, this is a great idea. Talk us through, uh, what, what happens? What are the next steps? What would be, well, the, the reality of how you, how you make this happen. We think there's a two-year period where we write up all the paperwork. 
and get the governor ready to present this. And we think that there's a huge bunch of education that has to happen. So there has to be, we need to go to environmental groups and talk to them. They all love nuclear, but none of them seem to understand it. We need to go to fossil fuel groups because they look at nuclear as a competition when really nuclear should be a follow-on energy system to the fossil fuel energy because they're really energy companies, not fossil fuel energy companies. So they're really mining companies, in my opinion. Mining companies. So we got to yeah. get them to look at what's the follow-on after fossil fuels go away. And they don't seem to be afraid of fossil fuels going away at all. So all this talk about getting rid of fossil fuels doesn't seem to be falling on on any in, any problem with them. So we need to go to their conferences and say, here's an idea. You know, two generations later now, you might want to have a follow-on aspect into this, and that this is a good entree to it. And then we got to talk to politicians, because politicians very poorly understand this. It's, you hear them talking about it, they do not understand it. And and then the last one is the public, or the most important one is the public, is get out and talk to the public. And we, I've been doing that quite a bit, and in the public audiences I have, I love they we love this. Why aren't we doing this? And so so recycling in general is a good receptive to them. So the idea is that if we can get to a governor that agrees to this, we can find a private money for about a ten million dollar two year effort to go out and do all these things we need to do, write all these papers, we'd have to get lawyers and politicians and all this crap to move it in the right direction. And you kinda have to have a state that at least most of their delegation falls in line with it because you can't have them advocating on one side and then everybody running around poo-pooing on the other side. So the governor would have to rein in his, his soldiers and get this on, which is an onerous task for Colorado's got enough of them that, you know, you have to, like North Dakota, one congressman, two senators and a governor and they have coffee, you know, three times a year and talk about things. So all those issues have to be brought together. Our forte would be to do the program management aspect of it and put the whole plan together and do the education side of it, or at least inspire the education side of it. We have to get the political push and the open doors and stuff like that to be done by these entrepreneurs and, and, and dealing with the governor. So that's what we envision. If we get the investor first, then we go full board to the governor. Any governor will do. It doesn't have to be Colorado or Virginia that could be any governor. No, no, there's no state boundaries that restrict us doing this. And then we have to, if we get the governor first, that's 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 all over them. I mean, there's there's going to be people marching in line to try to to try to help us, you know, bankroll this and get it going. So that's it. We think we need an, an audience with the governor, and then for the rest of that, we can we can figure out pretty quickly. Could also be a uh, tribal nation. Doesn't have to be, you know, the state itself. I mean, that's a, a real large, uh, you know, uh, piece of the pie there too. So, but the governor can still stop that. That's the trouble. So, and so once definitely. once you get buy-in from a state, then yep. the, the next steps would be work with one of these technology designers, build one of their systems in the state, and act and take spent nuclear fuel and start recycling it. Well, yeah. Convince the government to open up this. Forty-five billion dollar fund, and if we just open it up and, and blow it, we're 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 defeating our purpose. We need to get a public-private partnership where we inspire the private aspect of it to get going. A couple first of the kind reactors, a national laboratory for tech transfer. Uh, yeah, so I hadn't thought of that. So you're you're advocate, or if I'm hearing you correctly, advocating for using the forty-five billion dollars that the nuclear industry has invested to solve this spent nuclear fuel problem, and utilize that as the capital resource 
to develop in the new technology designs that want to come out and right. and that build fast reactors. Yeah, right. Now, that's, that's a great idea. Why haven't we done that? That's, that's forty-five billion dollars, right? <laughs> that forty-five billion dollars has been collected from all the ratepayers who have ever used nuclear energy. Okay, that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. If you go on the, the website, I have the list of the states. I think here in, uh, uh, I think it's uh, 235 million, uh, you know, uh, in, in Virginia alone. Uh, you you got to figure all of this stuff. Now, the thing so is, no this private enterprise, private enterprise has to be part of it. You can't put it, you have to take it out of the hands of the elite. The elite will only cook it down the road for another 40 years. Yeah, we don't private enterprise makes all the things you you got to take a look at the uh, color TVs as Steve always says. If we didn't have private enterprise, we'd still have those old big boxy things because it's innovation driving prices down. Okay, that's where the innovation comes from. You know, uh, anything, any widget you ever buy, private enterprise. Okay, I can do it cheaper. I can do it better. Well, guess what? Same thing with electricity. Awesome, guys. Well. We're, we're up on our time, but I okay. think this conversation has been fantastic. Really appreciate having you guys on. Um, th- thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, keep in look, touch. Look, we look forward to talking to your government. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's right. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.